Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And we've arrived at our Thanksgiving edition of the podcast, and we have some fun recommendations to people who might be looking for escape from all the family squabbling to watch some good movies and TV. But before we get into all that, there is one new movie that's screened since we last recorded that we have to get into. And when I was down in Key West, I thought I was going to miss this big hot opportunity to be on the front lines for 1917. I had all these burning questions I was going to ask you, but I did get a chance to see the movie. I still have some burning questions because I guess what I'm wondering with 1917, really impressive long take war movie achievement, but at the same time felt like a lot of it was sort of begging to be taken seriously for what it was doing in a way that I, I didn't quite feel like it got there, but Tell me first and foremost, did this movie just conclude the best picture race once and for all? No. Or do we still have a race? Okay. We still have a race. Because it's not my favorite contender. We still have a race. For example, what's happening today, we're taping this on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, is that Martin Scorsese's The Irishman hits Netflix. And I have to assume, because we'll never know what the numbers are unless um, Netflix decides to boast about it, which I wouldn't be surprised in this case they would, that incredible numbers of people who maybe didn't go to the theater or weren't able to go to the theater over the past three weeks are going to watch uh, The Irishman for the first time at home. And it is two and it is <laughs> really long, right? Yeah, but it's no longer than what people have binge-watched on Netflix yeah, many times in nec- the past. I know, but they don't necessarily do it all in one go. And I've been looking at some Twitter traffic, and some people are having trouble sitting all the way through it. And, I'm sure. And so I will say when we saw it, and each of us in our relative um, screening rooms or theaters, we we – you know, you sat there. I did sit there for the whole time. I never moved. I never went to the bathroom. And I Me was too. riveted, absolutely yeah. riveted. It moves along really well. But and I it, think on Netflix, you're going to get distracted no matter what you're watching. I mean, that's a Netflix, that's a home viewing problem, I think, more than anything else. Yeah, and there's a part of me that's really looking forward to watching it again with my aunt in my living room, you know, you know, with a with a, a warm beverage or, or a snack and, and whatever it is that'll keep us comfortable and happy and pauses. But but I, I do urge people to try to see as much of it in one go as they can. And also in the first hour or so, when you do have the first transitions to the de-aging, and this is where I was going to make a comparison to 1917. I think these are similar in a way where you have this extraordinary technology that is enabling this new thing to be done that hasn't really been done this way before. And the question is whether the storytelling and the characters carry you through. I loved 1917. I was 
thrilled by it. And I made a point of not taking notes because I wanted to just experience it. And the, and the kind of unbroken, in. right. The yeah. fluidity of that shot. Yeah. yeah. And, and there is this one, well, there was this one moment where, so what you have as, as if, as you must all know by now is a sequence of five to 10 minute uninterrupted takes carefully and seamlessly edited together. You know, there's a one, there's one moment where the, the people duck into a tent, you know, that's going to be a, a cut. And there's another place where the an lead, explosion and, and one of the lead like characters that. passes out completely, which, which I thought obvious. was a cop out. You co- totally could have written a, a dream sequence into that or something like, I'm not sure why you it don't has know to be broken there. In when he wakes up, you don't know how wounded right. he is. You don't Fair. know. No, I mean, honestly, that, out. No, I thought that no, was good. Well, no spoilers, but but except to say that when the character passes out and we return to the long take, I think that string of circumstances are the best parts of the movie it's because there's a, it's, it's, it's fi- the fire, water, town. song. Yes, yeah, yes. It's, it's all this stuff. Burning church. It's extraordinary. I wanted more of that throughout the movie. To a large extent, I felt very early on like I was being played, and I kept waiting for the movie to remove that sense. And I, you know, I've I've played a lot of open world video games and stuff like that. And whether or not this was intended in, by the people by Sam Mendes or or Roger Deakins, I do feel like it had some of that where you're kind of you're watching things and the camera drifting around out of necessity because of what they're doing there, and less because it needs to be wherever it is. Later on in the movie, it's a more effective device, I think, because there's a sense of unpredictability about the direction that he's heading that's more effective. But I have to tell you, I had... There is a sequence where he goes into this... uh, Where they go... There's two two soldiers who go into this farm uh, area. And I was... I'm just bringing it up because I remember... I started looking around the frame. I started worrying about what was coming from outside the frame. Yeah, there's an anxiety element. There's some changes of points of view, too, which allow the cameras are not always from their point of view. They follow them, and they are ahead of them, and they're behind them. And and sometimes we see things that they don't see in that particular sequence especially. Um, And there's this one moment where um, you're – there's a cow and he puts milk in his thermos and this pays off later. It's, 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 there's amazing stuff that happens. And, but uh, uh, backing up the two actors carry it. Yes. And that's why it works. Yeah. I mean, George them? McKay and Dean Charles Chapman, George McKay obviously was a, a real breakout in Captain Fantastic. So it's nice to see him sort of mature into this young adult role. And uh, I think that, that is what's sort of striking about the movie is that there is a there is a real uh, war movie in, at its core. It's not just the gimmick. If anything, I mean, I, I don't think that without the long take, it would be quite as strong a movie. But I do think that sometimes it's the writing of the dynamic between these two characters that carries it even more than whatever the camera seems to be wander, wandering off and doing. Well, you know? they did so very uh, carefully plan it. So, I mean, the part that I found sort of mine, was there a Q&A at the one that you went to? I haven't seen it with a Q&A, but obviously I've been following our, our coverage and, and you know the conversation around that side of it is probably the most interesting thing to dig into. It's really fun to for all, for those of us who are, are tech wonks um, to understand how they made it is fascinating, um, and they do um, 
uh, they had to plan it out ahead of time and time it out ahead of time. And the production design had to follow the model of what they wrote and what they created so that it timed out perfectly. And that is something that's never been done before. Well, it's funny because it's like, yeah, you you probably have heard about how when Orson Welles was doing the Touch of Evil long take at the beginning, how I think it was the actor playing the policeman or the, the cop at the border kept flubbing his lines and they had to go back and do it again. I mean, those stories are so amazing because it takes so much choreography to get this stuff right. And obviously in 2019, doing a long take or a movie length long take, especially, but any kind of long take is a different kind of uh, process than it was back then. But there are similar kinds of coordination that's necessary on the performance level and on the set design and all that kind of stuff that I think makes it interesting. Right. And the set of It's fun. It's more of a, it it felt more like this was a Deacon showcase than anything else. He's going to win the Oscar. That much I can tell you. Round two. <laughs> so that part, it took him a long time for the first one. That but. part, that part is really, I think, uh, probably hard hard to beat. Um, and it's fun to to listen to the conversation about the you know the triangle rig, you know the Steadicam that's very elaborate that allowed them to really get in some places that were pretty tight, or or the way they use wires to skim across a, a lake at the bottom of a crater, or. Um, you know, they, they've innovated two lightweight or uh, three lightweight uh, airy Alexa cameras that, that could go on the Steadicam and, and not weigh it down. And, and, you know, this is all sort of fun. To It was a question of it was all planned out and then Deacons had to figure out how to make it work and and but do it. Um, I think the part that I was impressed by, Eric, was that I was often looking at the long takes sort of appraisingly, but I also got caught up in the movie and, and it was so beautiful and so ugly and so horrifying there. There's a point here that they're trying to make. It's an anti-war movie. Well, it's also, I think some people expected an action movie. You know, you think about say the long take at the end of children of men or something like that. And, And frankly, it's, it's a much subtler story than, people may be expecting based on the the very loud trailers that have been playing at movie theaters for several weeks. It's more about kind of the dirt and the grime of World War One, the awful circumstances, the kind of pointlessness of certain things. I mean, it never reaches for some grand statement in that respect, but I think that in kind of a visceral moment-to-moment way, it does get that across. So there's a lot that I respect about it, even if I, you know, like I say, I, I find some parts more enthralling than others, and the gimmick not necessarily um, easy to separate from the from the movie in the, in that respect. I mean, there's a, it's fun to talk about this stuff. I'm obsessed with long takes. You know, I'm one of my favorite movies of the year. It's been consistent the whole year through. Is a movie that has a 55 minute long take, which is Long Day's Journey into Night from the Chinese director Bi Gan. And that's all a dream sequence. So totally different, you know, logistics because you can really do anything. You know, the camera flies and it goes in all these unexpected places onto a motorcycle. Um, and I think the the thing about this movie is that I just kind of felt like, you know, after a while, I, I found it kind of exhausting. And, and I wanted to um, I wanted to feel like there was some real purpose here. And a lot of times the purpose eluded me. But setting aside all of these kinds of quibbles about the movie, Obviously, like you say, Deacons being this front runner, the question that I really have in all this from an award season standpoint, because unless Cats is some sort of a game changer, this was the last no, this is major it. contender. So Did just how much does it? Jewel, 
Well, we haven't because that's one I still need to see. I know you saw it, but does that storm the Oscar race the way that well, uh, 1917 movie, does? I mean, you never underestimate Clint Eastwood and how popular he is because the list of movies that he's made that have gone on to multiple Oscars is very long. You know, Unforgiven, Million Dollar Baby, Mystic River, and right. more recently well, he kinda, American Sniper. He, I'm not even I listing mean, all of them. You know, he got into auteur mode after being an icon and was heading into middle age. I mean, it's a very, it's a completely singular phenomenon. He's eighty nine years old. No, it's no, nuts. no director of Hollywood stature has lasted this long with this many movies, with this many movies in the Oscar race. Now, is it a modest, reasonable movie? Yes, that's the thing. It doesn't, you know, Clint's style is not showy. He he doesn't throw people uh, out there, but in the sense of, of super over-the-top bravura performances, although you could argue that, that Bradley Cooper gave one in, in American Sniper. In this case, Paul Walter Hauser, who some of you may have discovered in I, Tanya, plays Richard Jewell and um, is, is really quite extraordinary in this, and it's effective. It's a good movie. Does uh, Clint Eastwood enjoy putting journalists through the ringer in the form of Olivia Wilde as this woman who sleeps her way into scoops? And apparently that did not happen in real life. Sure. It's a fictional (laughs) narrative and he knows exactly what he's doing. Does he, though? I always feel like that people give I mean, you give Clint credit for his resilience and for being an incredibly sturdy storyteller, sometimes even an incredibly advanced filmmaker in terms of how subtle he can be but just in terms of when he crosses lines that are you know people might consider to be representationally problematic i don't i don't really know if that's i mean are are we are you giving him too much credit here i haven't seen the movie no but the central that- story here is is that he has great empathy for this overweight, not brilliant, um, earnest, sincere, hardworking guy who got thrown under the bus by the FBI. Now, Clint knows his audience and he knows that this is going to play. And he knows that being negative about journalism is going to play too. Um, you know, well, I don't love this that. is a big red state winner, you know, just, yeah, just well, like that's, his that's last sort of- one, The Mule. Um, Don't forget, this is the guy who lectured to the empty Obama chair at the RNC, so that doesn't surprise me. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm judging him on the basis of his filmmaking skill, which is considerable. uh And I've always been a Clint fan. Honestly, he's more of a libertarian than anything else. That's true. That's but true, and that's the, what's the sort of unfortunate. Is is that is 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 how this is going to you know just in terms of our current conversation how this is going to play either out out in the I bet it's a big hit. I bet it does. Is this really the well. is this the proverbial steak eaters movie? And it that could we, be, we but come around I would to? argue that Ford v Ferrari and 1917 are steak eater movies. In fact. Honestly, we've talked about this already. The entire year is steak eater movies. Well, movies some of the, some of them men. are See, <laughs> some of them are, are thank God <laughs> for Bombshell and Little Women because well, I otherwise think it's, more it's like, all male. It's like well, some of them are steak eater movies, and some of them are self referential steak eater movies from the uh, the sort of late in life vegetarian point of view, if you will. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Irishman or whatever, getting inside that and what trying to understand. What's your take on Little is. Women? 
I thought Little Moon was terrific. It took a little while to get going, but I but ultimately what's very effective about it is how well crafted it is from a from a screenplay standpoint. It's it like kind of folds in on itself. It's more self-aware than you realize when you go get going. And so it kind of enlivens some material in a way that feels sort of contemporary, which I know we've talked about a little bit on the podcast before. I'll be curious to see just how commercial a movie it is. No, it's I do think there's, I have talked to people about it though, who feel like maybe it's a, it's a little confusing it to is some of they, they kind of, they need critics to explain this movie to people a little bit, just in terms of what it's doing. And so that, that is an interesting question. You know, it's a, a studio movie that I think is more complex than a lot of, a lot of studio films, including previous little that, women. But on the yeah. other hand, it's also a little too mainstream glossy for my taste, a little too much hair and makeup and, and costumes. But that's uh, to be yeah. expected. I mean, that that's what this ta- you know. If it didn't it have that, but remember, it would, they sometimes I want like the the, uh, the gritty indie version of something. Yeah, I would love to see uh, the the kind of naturalistic Cassavetes esque version of Little Women. That's uh, you know all shaky cams and improv well, dialogue and stuff. Far. But, but Greta right, Gerwig but- did her time with that stuff at the beginning of her career, so it's nice to see her become a real polished auteur with this. So kind let's of talk about your uh, your trip to uh, to Florida. Where were you in the yeah key, in key i was west? in key west yeah i know the keys all blur together but this one is by far i think um the one with the coolest film festival because i've been going down here for a while you know it's sort of like a, a fun side project of sorts i host a critics panel there every year and we bring different critics down and uh they started doing a costume design award a few years ago mark bridges did it and then won the oscar for phantom thread and it's kind of neat because being able to i mean it's a Key West has a lot of flamboyance to it, this mixture of kitsch and culture. So doing a costume designer award feels appropriate. It's not my area of expertise, but I really did enjoy the opportunity to moderate a conversation with Ariane Phillips, who did uh, the Tarantino film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because she's just an amazing character. You know, she did 25 Madonna music videos, and her credits range from Tank Girl to Hedwig to a single man. I mean, this is a person who has basically worked in virtually every mode and is often invisible, but contributing something very key to the singular looks of all of those movies. And I think that the Hollywood stuff that she's pulled off in terms of getting inside the Tarantino verse while also conveying this late sixties vibe is really striking and you know she was nominated for we the madonna film several years ago but this seems like one where she could really go all the way so um, she's in I the hope hunt i mean there's there's some other costume um movies there's a lot I of would, period stuff i would say yeah there there's there's the irishman and and there's also the um which of course is uh, Sandy Powell, um, yeah, the rock then, star, uh, who is a rock star, and and there's the there's Joker, which I think the costumes are quite significant in in that, and there's Judy, uh, uh, and there's Rocket Man. So you you have quite a, a competitive uh, lineup there. Yeah, it's true, and I think it's really a question of what sticks in the craw more, and some of these movies are more memorable than others overall but with hollywood it's you know it's a long movie with a lot of different costumes but there's some stuff that i mean that hawaiian t-shirt that brad pitt wears you know that was a halloween costume I mean, there is a there is something sort of a cultural currency to the to the way people dress in that movie that has really caught on and become a thing so so i don't know i mean it was fun to talk to her she was very um she's very outspoken on the issue of pay 
uh, equality. And uh, she was in one of the first people involved in the Time's Up movement. She designed the pin that, that was first seen on the red carpet at the Globes uh, because Re- Reese Witherspoon, who she knew from doing the costumes and Walk the Line, brought her into that. So she has started a company that's improving kind of red carpet activism in a way. And so there's a lot there, I think, in terms of this person's career. And it was fun to dig into a side of the industry that I personally don't get to talk about very much. Um, and outside of that, um, it was just a nice opportunity to revisit a bunch of different films and talk to some general movie-going audiences who were non-industry about them. The international programming at the festival has gotten pretty good, so I introduced Baccarat, and it was nice to come back to that months after Cannes, a really wild Western movie that people seem to really dig. And uh, we have a critic. But not the Oscar um, entry. Yeah, exactly. It's just unfortunate, but not surprising given Brazilian politics. And mm-hmm. then um, this film uh, uh, from Cannes that, that won the Critics Prize that we do every year is one that I just keep coming back to and I really um, adore. And that's Atlantics, um, which is a movie that, uh, you know, when it came to Cannes, I think nobody really knew what to expect. Maddie Diop's first feature, her short films have been all experimental, but this this kind of surprise supernatural story about the immigration crisis from a Senegalese woman's perspective who's after her lover leaves her behind is um it's just such an innovative piece of storytelling and it i was so happy to be able to celebrate and it is um atmospheric if you like um and 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 you you're very aware that you're seeing something from a point of view that you've never seen before but what she didn't do was make the rules of the supernatural elements clear to the viewer. So you really slog along there for a while before you figure it out. Eventually you do. Exactly. That's, that's what I kind of wound up liking more and more about it is that it, it, it allows you to be confused. It's willing to take that risk. And then the more you think about it, the more fascinating it becomes. I agree. I didn't totally understand what was happening there at first. And then as I thought about it, the, it became more and more fascinating when I revisited the movie. I, I knew exactly what was going on. I saw how all the pieces fit together. And that to me is, is really um, kind of brilliant filmmaking in a way that there's is another, hard to encapsulate. There's another uh, international entry, um, which I'm sure you've seen, Be- Beanpole, the, the Russian uh, Actually, I haven't. That's a, that's a gap for me that I'm going to oh, need to catch I'm up on this season. Because that's yeah. another one where you have stunning cinematography. And this is a very, very promising filmmaker, Belegov, who I look forward to seeing more from him. But the cinematography and the acting and, and is so extraordinary that I'm, I, I'm disappointed when the storytelling becomes so opaque that you really don't know what's going on. And, and that's, that's a question of taste. I know that some people don't mind mm-hmm. it, but I think I love to be confused with the actual voters. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah, well, no, of course. I mean, it's a Senegalese Oscar submission, which is great. And Netflix bought it at Cannes. So there is, it's not like there are no resources behind this movie, but it, it will is get, it will get certainly screened. a tough sell. It's just a question. So the one the one that I um, we, we know about Les Miserables and we, and we know about Pain and Glory and, and Parasite, these are the big, hot, you know, front runners. Um, but uh, the question is what the other slots um, might be or what, what might wind up on the on the short list of 10. It's one more this year than it's been in the past. And um, and so I'm trying to catch up, as I'm sure uh, you are. Out Stealing Horses, the Norwegian entry starring Stellan Skarsgård, is the I've most impressive it. one I've seen. 
Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a real open question how all this stuff is going to go down. Did you see Invisible Life, the Brazilian, yeah, yeah, the actual Brazilian submission? I, I yeah. really thought it was um, quite stunning. I mean, it's a beautiful, time-spanning kind of romance of, of sorts about a, a family that gets disconnected and less a romance, more, more about family bonds and how they stay intact over the years, even when two people don't see each other. And to say too much about it would be to spoil it, but it's basically about a pair of sisters who have this bond that, you know, gets ruptured when uh, something happens to their family. But it's, it's really beautiful. This filmmaker, Kareem Anous, it was a uh, premiere in, in certain regard at, at Cannes and then uh, got picked up by Amazon, which is an interesting home for a movie like this, but if they can do a real campaign for it, it deserves to be seen and it should get out there. So you should check it out. I mean, I, it's really I will. Oh, it's definitely on my list of must sees. And, and there's one more, which is the, um, uh, the whistlers, which is from, ah, um, yes, uh, that's Romania. a fun one. And that, and Magnolia knows what they're doing. That's a fun movie. Cause it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like Maltese Falcon. It's like one of these kind of shaggy dog noir detective things where you can't totally follow all the plot, but it doesn't matter because it's so entertaining. And um, and I really like the Cornelio Porambora boy who's He's a great making filmmaker. these films. And he's and, really and this is funny. Yeah, but he's he's never worked in this somewhat more popular or your popular kind of register before. I mean, this is a movie that actually invites you in with a familiar genre and then kind of surprises you with and all these kind of weird plots to it. other movies in the genre. Yeah, it's so very cinematic. Constantly throwing film clips up and, and giving you shots from other movies. And, and there's a femme fatale that, you know, a really good one. <laughs> so yeah, I, I have to true. say, uh, it, that's one of those unpredictable movies where you really don't know where it's c- going to come out. That said, it probably lacks a certain gravitas that you expect from the final five at the Oscars. They just tend to be very serious about this sort of thing. But this is a major filmmaker. Well, sometimes you do get one fun one in there. I mean, the fact that, as you say, it's a crowd pleaser. It has a really great ending that sticks with people. It's, it's a, a movie great that ending. invites applause. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's kind of romantic in a way. So um, so I, I think you're right. And with Magnolia behind it, there, there will be a real campaign for it. So it's, it's, it's interesting to think about what will happen here when – you know, which, 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 what will be the four movies that all lose to Parasite? Moving on from all this stuff, people are home. They're doing the Thanksgiving thing, presumably getting really stuffed and, and tired of their relatives. And they're begging for a reason to sit down and watch something or go out and watch something, but more likely sit at home and watch something. Let's be honest. I hope they go what, out. Come on. Well, so what to give the, give them a good, give them a good reason then. What would you say? is the movie to go see on Thanksgiving. The Two Popes, although that will be on Netflix. <laughs> Ford v. Ferrari, which will play for every member of the family and is a popular hit, really fun. And Except my I, family. <laughs> I admit <Not> me. <laughs> that the ones yeah. that are actually going to be watched by the most people are The Report, which just hit Amazon, Irishman, which just hit Netflix, and the people who are going to be catching up on the crown and Watchmen, like me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to catch up on Watchmen too. So that's fair. I would say if you're going to go to the theaters, go see knives out. That that's is fun, fun for the whole family. It's not like it's going to change your life, but as somebody who, you know, it's not like I, I'm a diehard whodunit person. 
it's a, so it's not like that movie that it's like i that's why i like this movie but it it does that genre it does the clue thing very well while also making it kind of topical and it use using this insane a-list staff you know like basically every possible a-lister you could ask for and what in really i will say about that ways. movie is that it starts out really well as a it looks like a ordinary old agatha christie who done it and it twists and turns into something much more satisfying so stick with it. And have you been doing the Disney Plus thing? Are you a Mandalorian stan, like at least half the universe right now? I've seen the first two episodes, and I like okay. them very much. And Baby yeah, Yoda I won't is spoil adorable. It. Yeah, the Baby Yoda thing, honestly, in, in terms of mainstream storytelling, I thought that was one of the great recent cliffhangers. Not since Thanos actually got to snap his fingers have we seen such a, a great sort of initial launch of a big story that everybody's kind of invested in? Whether or not it pays off in the long term, I don't know. But I am appreciating the way that this show unfolds in little bits it's and pieces of texture. It's very satisfying. There's a yeah. lot of Star Trek in it in the sense that you're entering all these different landscapes with different challenges mm-hmm. and new characters. You and know then- that Star Wars and Star Wars fans have been coming at each other's throats for decades so them's fighting it's, words right no, it's there true. and then and then it's a western very much so yes and so well it's, it's lone wolf and cub those tropes and, and i thought lone wolf and cub was that's the, was what it is very explicit lone wolf yeah. and cub is what it is it's what yeah, I was and it's neat to see that say. yeah well it's because we both we have in spite of our differences on certain things sometimes our knowledge does line up and we have similar sensibilities when it comes to great cinema so it is a very cinematic show which is which is satisfying but but here's the thing eric one of the reasons i brought up star trek is that it really what i think what's brilliant about what favreau did here is that it's actually tv <laughs> it's he keeps it simple it's expensive i know it's expensive but it and and they have great um, production values and so on, but it's very simple too. And that's, what's brilliant or, about it. Or maybe it is that film TV hybrid that is unique to our moment. We've been both anticipating and dreading as, as you know, the content wars speed up. I mean, we're just in a really fascinating moment where a show like this can exist and kind of trouble those boundaries to some degree. So there's something, I think, whether or not you're into the show after the first episode, it's worth, sticking with it just to see whether or not they pull this off and whether or not it sets the stage for other kinds of shows like it. I mean, well, it's, it's definitely trying hearing, stuff. The numbers on the Mandalorian are huge. I mean, of beyond course. huge. Um, they're, they're taking over. So hopefully some people are also watching marriage story and Irishman and all that stuff on Netflix and then switching over to the Mandalorian. But those numbers are even more elusive than anything else in this, in this game. So it is a real open question right now. Uh, so next week, um, yeah, it's going to be a, it's gonna be nice to unplug for a bit because when we get back into it in the last few weeks of the year, we've got a Sundance lineup and then, you know, maybe we'll see cats and finally get some critics awards to talk about. So there's still some stuff around the corner and uh, let's uh, let's take they this pause as an opportunity. Cats in, to, finally, yeah, uh, under exactly. the wire for the old uh, Golden Globes as a work in progress, but we shall see. So let's take this opportunity to uh, unplug for a bit, catch up on some things, and uh, when we get back in the saddle, we'll finish this year in style. Enjoy the holiday, Anne. You too, Eric. Bye-bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.